Um, our topic uh, for this morning, um, uh, I've, I've entitled the divine, uh, the divine human in Jewish mysticism, the divine human in uh, uh, in Kabbalah and and, uh, and Hasidism, and, and really what I mean by that in terms of our uh, study together is how did Jewish mystics, particularly Mekubalim, Kabbalists of the medieval early modern periods, and then um, uh, and then the Hasidic mystics of uh, 18th and 19th centuries, how did these Jewish mystics conceptualize the nature of the human, the nature of, the, of personal identity and of the self in terms of a, an, extent, an, an ontological extension of the divine, right? Ontological having to do with the nature of being and reality. That is to say, as we're going to see through our sources, um, can the claim be made, um, and I believe that, uh, that, uh, that this is at the heart of what uh, many of these Kabbalists uh, believed and, and sought to teach, can the claim be made that at its essence, or at the, the essence of the human being, is the truth that we are nothing but divinity. Right? That's the most radical formulation of it. Right? Or, or can we say um, that at the very least, the, the human self as we know it is a manifestation of, an extension of, uh, the very substance and essence and reality of God. And, and what does this mean? Right? How, what does this mean and how is such a claim made? Right? In, the, in the broadest sense, uh, we could certainly fold this into a larger theology um, of radical imminence, right, of God's presence in the world, um, or even more radically, right, that, and that sometimes is referred to as panentheism, God in the world, um, or even more radically, pantheism, that God is everything, God is the all, um, and contrary to, um, to some stereotypes, pantheism is hardly a dirty word, it's actually um, a really... Uh, um, a profound a theological statement that, that is found quite extensively in Jewish mysticism, essentially making the claim that all is God. That all is God. And, and at a deep level, I think we can say that one of the core features of mysticism more generally, cross-culturally, and mysticism within Judaism in particular, is the intuition and the assertion that at the very depths of reality, at the deepest core of truth, is the fact that everything is interconnected, everything is one, and that oneness is God. So that's sort of the, the, the first kind of more broad claim, right? one that actually folds in or subsumes the nature of the human within all, the, all of the reality of the world as we know it, right? And that includes the natural world and so forth. Um, so to, to some extent, that, that claim or that belief um, lies beneath this, uh, some of our discussions. Uh, but more specifically, in terms of the sources we're going to look at today, is the claim that the very essence of the human being, 
is the soul. And the soul, unlike the body, the, the mystics argued, was um, not only eternal and immortal, but was also an emanation from the very self of God. Or as Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the Ramak says, we'll see in one of the texts cited here, um, that the soul the souls of um, human beings, and uh, he doesn't necessarily um, uh, clearly separate out the question of Jews and non-Jews, though it seems that they had Jews more in, in mind with regard to what they were concerned with, are emanations from divinity. Right? That, they, that they are, um, that, as we'll see, atzilut hanishamot, he may hasfirot. Like that the emanation of souls is from the sfirot, these, uh, these inner dimensions of, of the divine self. And according to Cordovero and, and many others, um, emanation um, is understood to be an, a, an extension of essence, an extension of unified reality, that is to say, that if the soul emanates from, um, from divinity, then at some fundamental level, the soul is divine. Right? And we see this in various places. Chelek Elohim Ma'al, right, building upon Job, um, and, um, and various other formulations. Right? That, the, that there is a dimension of what we know to be our human self, that is actually part of God, that is actually divine, right? So then that begs the question, right? We're going to come back to this. You're going to learn this, some of this in Chavruta, and we're going to uh, study it more deeply together. But just by way of thinking about framing the question, um, to what extent can we then posit any real individuality with regard to the human being, right? If the true nature of the self is the soul, right, and this is stated very explicitly by Chaim Vital, the main disciple of the Ari of Isaac Luria in various places, that Haguf eneno ha'adam atzmo, he says, the body is not really the person, or is not the person in their essence, Rather, ha'adam hu ha'ruchaniyut, ha'adam hu ha'pnimiyut. And that is called, like, the, the person is um, spirituality or spirit substance. The person is um, inwardness. And they correlate very explicitly that spirituality, that ruchaniyut, and that inwardness, that pnimiyut, with the soul. Right? And, um, and, that, and that's articulated in various ways in the Lurianic literature and elsewhere that the real identity of the, of the human being is one that is formed over many physical lifetimes. Right? It's part of this belief in reincarnation, which lies at, at the heart of Kabbalistic belief, along with many other world religions. That the soul actually is the true nature of the, of, uh, the, true nature of the self, is the true self, of the person, 
and that that soul is repaired and and grows and, and builds over many different physical incarnations. But that each physical incarnation is not um, to be understood as Adam Atzmo, the person themselves, right? It's understood as a levush, as a garment for the true nature of the person, which is the soul. Therefore saying that the true nature of the person is actually immortal. The true nature of the person is actually eternal. The true nature of the person is actually an emanation, is nothing less than an emanation from God, which in mystical terms means is inseparable from divine reality, right? So where does human selfhood begin and divinity end, right? Or can we say that human identity is but a manifestation of the infinite divine reality? <coughs> and I think that that, in some ways, is a fair statement about what the mystics believed uh, deep down, right? That that, that truly, if we're asking what is, the, what is the being of all of this, the being of ourselves in relationship to God, it's that God's infinity, God's in self, is the totality of everything. It's, that's, that's the whole deal. Everything you experience is but a manifestation of that infinity. Therefore, it's all connected and all one. And if that hasn't completely blown your mind, then, you know, we still have some time to go. Please. The, the, this for Moshe, Moshe Cordovero. Mm-hmm. Can you give us just a brief about when he lives? Sure, sure. And, and uh, yes, so, thank you. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, so, I, so let, me, um, let me do that, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and, and, I'll, and I'll also um, introduce the in that sense, historically, the various figures um, whose texts we're, you're going to study in Kavruta shortly, and I'll also give you some, uh, now that we've framed the question a little bit, um, I'll also give you some, uh, some, some uh, um, uh, items for you to pay attention to, as it were, and, and to, uh, to take notes on in Kavruta together that we'll then come back and talk about. Um, so first, yes, so... So in the order of uh, in the order that they appear in your source packet, so Moshe Cordovero, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, who's also known as the as the Ramak, um, was a, a mid 16th century Kabbalist, Mekubal, in Tzfat, in northern land of Israel. So this is mid 1500s. As his name suggests, uh, his family was likely of um, Spanish uh, um, extraction, that is to say, many of the Jews who ended up becoming part of this, what was really a kind of renaissance of spirituality, poetry, um, halachic creativity, that was 16th century Tzfat, were, um, were the descendants of the Megurashe Svara, right, of those who were expelled from Spain in 1492, right? It's sort of think of the proximity, people living in the early and mid-decades of the 1500s, and, and this massive Jewish cataclysm had occurred um, only a few decades earlier. So that certainly uh, impacts uh, some of their thinking, um, but that's, that's itself a kind of a different question. But Moshe Cordovero was really uh, one of the um, uh, one of the one of the, the great uh, Kabbalistic 
uh, scholars of, of Tzfat, especially prior to the arrival and influence of Isaac Luria, um, of Isaac Luria, the Ari. Um, and Cordovero was a, pro- was a prolific, uh, prolific author. Was the author of a kind of almost, a kind of almost scholastic um, um, uh, Kabbalist, almost on the almost like a Jewish Thomas Aquinas. I sometimes like to say um, he wrote a 24-volume commentary to the Zohar called Oryakar, um, which is extremely important also in terms of seeing what kind of manuscript texts um, were being used by the 16th century Kabbalists. That's sort of like a um, more scholar's curiosity kind of thing. Um, but, he, but he wrote a massive commentary on the Zohar, the, the great masterpiece of late 13th century Spanish Jewish mythicism. He also wrote uh, a, a very important um, kind of uh, systematic metaphysical mystical treatise called the Pardes Rimonim, uh, the Orchard of Pomegranates, from which this passage, uh, from which I, I uh, selected this passage, um, and many uh, many other works, uh, including uh, a work called Shior Koma, Elima Rabati, um, and several several other shorter works, including Tomer Devora, the Palm Tree of Deborah, which is a very important mystical ethical treatise, and a very short autobiographical work called Sefer Girushin, the Book of um, expulsions, uh, which is a uh, is another another whole story. It's nothing to do with expulsion from Spain, though. Um, so one wonders actually at the use of that term, more individual wanderings and spiritual. Did his sister marry the Alshaykh? What's the other way around? Maybe the brothers in law. Um, uh, the uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not certain about the about the about the familiar relationship to the Alshaykh, but the, but the uh, certainly there was there was also a, there was also a, a, a deep connection to um, um, to the legacy of Yosef Caro and 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 Tomo Alcabez and several others. Um, the next major. Oh yes, 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 yes. Alcabez, yes, Alcabez was. Um, uh, he he refers quite extensively to Alcabez. Right, and Alcabez was the author of the Chazodi, right, and, and an important Kabbalist in Sfat. Um, and um, I. I believe Alchemist was his father-in-law, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, but uh, he, he he speaks about uh, he speaks about having about traveling uh, with Alchemist around the Galil. Not not to get too too um, too too off of this. I want us to, to move to Chabruta. Let me just quickly tell you a little bit about these different figures. Chaim Vital, the next one um, uh, in the order here. Chaim Vital was. Um, um, Perhaps the most important disciple of Isaac Luria, and certainly the, was the author of the most influential works of Lurianic uh, Kabbalah. The one that we're going to um, uh, read from today is called Share Kedusha, the, the Gates of Holiness. Uh, but Vital is also known for his major works, Sefer um, Eitz Chaim, the Book of the Tree of Life, which is a, which is an important uh, metaphysical theological treatise on, based on Lurianic. Kabbalah, Sefer Shara Gilgulim is, is particularly significant for our purposes, the Book of Reincarnations, um, and so forth. Uh, but this is also, uh, this is also mid to late 1500s. Um, the, um, after the first couple of pages, when you see several pages uh, that are just in Hebrew, that's taken from, um, 
the book known as the Shla, the Shnei Luchot Habrit, um, the author of which um, was Rabbi uh, Yeshayahu Horovitz, a very important um, uh, Kabbalist of the late um, 16th and early 17th uh, centuries. Um, uh, really, it was written down in the early part of the 17th century, and, uh, and he was a major figure in Eastern Europe, uh, who eventually um, migrated, as many did, toward the end of his life to the lands of, of Israel. And the Shneel Chotabrit is a massive, important work that is highly anthological in nature in one respect, right? It brings together many sources uh, from, from many earlier sources that he that he copies out of manuscripts that he had, uh, but he also intersperses with a great deal of his own reflections. And this is a, this is a, a very important work of, of Kabbalah, of, of, uh, of Talmudic thought, of, of ethics especially, um, of reflection on, um, on the holidays and, and, and so forth. Um, and the last text in this packet, just to give you a kind of sense of the historical sweep, um, is um, is a text uh, from uh, Sefer Me'or Enaim, uh, an early classic of um, Hasidic mysticism. Uh, Me'or Enaim, Rabbi Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl, of the um, of the Tversky uh, dynasty family, um, and a very important uh, disciple. Uh, of the Magid of Mezrich, the second um, leader of Hasidism, and one who also, um, the one who transmits also many teachings in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, or in the spirit of Baal Shem Tov, the uh, first major figure of Hasidic mysticism. And, and there we've, we've moved to, um, uh, to the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, or, or areas of or what is now... Um, uh, what is now Poland uh, at the in the late 1700s, early 1800s. So that kind of uh, gives you a bit of a, a bit of a historical um, uh, sense. Um, so yes, maybe a couple other questions about about some of this, and then then, then I'll give you some uh, some chavruta um, pieces. That you, uh, yes, uh, you had your hand up uh, first, uh, sir. Yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering, if you say everything is God, then the body and the Starbucks ice cream and all the material things are also God, but then you said the soul is God, so I'm a little confused how does the body fit into this, or physicality fit into this theory? Yes, um, and this is, this is different, and different mystics have different answers to this. It's an important question, right? And, and to some extent, it's summed up even by Cordovero, through an attempt to negotiate a dialectic between what he calls atzmut, essence, and kelim, vessels. Right, so, um, right, that there is the atzmut of, atzmuta elohut, right, the essence of divinity, um, which manifests to the human mind through vessels, through kelim. Right, and, and, so the, and so our our physicality and our encounter with physicality encounters all these livushim, all these garments, <coughs> all of these kelim. Um, and different mystics went further in different ways, right? Uh, some mystics went to say that, well, actually, everything 
including the physical, including the kelim, are all part of divinity. They're just different kinds of manifestations of divinity, more or less refined, if you will, to the human um, mind. Um, and, um, and, and I think you're right to pick up on, on that tension, right, that I was mentioning, especially about, right, right, the body is not the, really the person, but rather the soul is the person. In that sense, it would seem to be that there's a closer affinity to the idea that it's really the soul that is part of this eternal essence of God, not, not those, not the, the garments that, that are ephemeral and, and, and finite, and, and, and yet, and this is especially, this is, this is in Cordovera, but it's also especially in Hasidic mysticism, there is a much greater tendency to speak about the whole of the world, all, all of the, the, uh, the chomriyut and the materiality and all of, and all of this world as, as, as also part of, of divinity, and we're going to see that as well. So, so we're going to see some, some varied answers to this, and I think that part, one of the things to look for in your, in your Chavruta study momentarily uh, is this tension between body and soul, or between physicality and spirituality in, in the text in negotiating this, well, this question. Um, and I saw you, I saw your yeah, hand next, and then I just wanted to maybe even explain a little about equivalence, because does that mean if everybody has the same sort of ethic, mm-hmm. what about, do some people have more? I mean, what about a side or is everybody given the same, or, or how do we, like, do we do some people yeah, and, and so there, there too, uh, and, we'll, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the, we'll come back to this when we, when we, when we study together after Chavruta. It's a very important question. Part of this is reflected in the first text from from Cordovero. Uh, so different, I would say, like there are different answers to this from the different mystics. So I don't want to entirely generalize, but I would say one of the things that he does say is that, right, because he tries to follow this almost philosophically. If we are really saying that every that all souls are emanated from from divinity, then there shouldn't be any real distinction between them, except by virtue of of uh, distinctions within the spheros, which themselves are only um, really perceptual at their deepest level. He would say, and that and that the only real distinction takes place in in embodiment. Right, um, that's part of that's part of his answer to that question. But um, so by equivalence, he means just what? Same. I think sameness. Yeah. The sameness uh, of the yeah. The sameness of one person to another. So, uh, so um, uh, one one more question about this, and then I'll, and then I'll give you some thoughts to take into Kavruta. We're going to also have lots of time after Kavruta to process all that you've studied and and talk about all these things together. So, uh, so this is, this is hardly cutting you. Short, I hope. Okay, when you say soul, you then go into the issue of soul sparse, which is just the Iranian mentality, or Yes, absolutely. I think the question of the role of soul sparks um, is, is a deep dimension of this, right? Essentially, I'll say, I'll say in the Kitsur Nimrat, right now, in just a very brief, very great brevity now, we can talk about it more afterwards, after we've had a chance to read some of these sources. Um, the belief was, and this is part of what you're, I think, alluding to, is that at, according to Luriana Kabbalah, at the beginning, at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of, 
time, of human time as, as we know it, um, the, their, the, all, all future souls were contained within the gargantuan luminous body of Adam Harishon, of, of first Adam. And when Adam, uh, um, and as, a kind of, as a kind of giant body of light, um, and, uh, and when uh, Adam sinned, right, and this is part where, where original sin, I guess sort of along the lines of, uh, that, that, that could have been a different topic we, we, I could have, I could have um, proposed for our, our Judaism Christianity question. Original, so with, with an emphasis on original um, sin, uh, when Adam sinned, then that body essentially shattered and shrunk down to normal human size, and all of those fragments of light fell into the darkness of matter below and became um, the many different sparks of um, soul roots for all future souls. So every person's soul that these mystics believe can be traced back can be traced back through a, a chain of sparks, as you're saying, that link back to that original wholeness of light in, in Adam. Um, yes. I know I'm going to stop tracking, but I think some people Um, this is this is this is true, um, and, and this, this this relates to the to the to the to the issue of to the issue of, of an ongoing reincarnation of souls through many different physical bodies, and the question of what then constitutes um, what then constitutes the wholeness of that soul versus its fragmentation. Um, um, so we'll, we'll we'll come we'll come back we'll come back to to all this after after uh, after Chavruta because I want I want I want you to get your your um, your hands on some on some of this text and talking about it together. So what so what I would like you to do um, um, is um, to to proceed uh, to proceed through um, the sources. There there um, uh, there there's. There's English available in the packet for, for most, most of them, but there's also all, all the Hebrew um, there. Um, and to study, to study them um, with uh, some, of the, some of the following questions and issues in mind. Right? So first, um, so first is, is that, is that uh, uh, fundamental issue that we were just raising, right? Is the, is the human being... Um, but an ontological extension of the divine, of divinity, or, or is there some real sense of um, separateness uh, uh, in, in, in play? Um, how, is, how is the soul defined um, and, uh, and imagined? Um, and, um, and then as you'll also see um, well, what 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 kind of let's also ask the question: What kind of theology do we see here? Right? What kind of way of speaking about God and reality and the relationship theoretically between God and the human being? What kind of 
what kind of um, what kind of theology is described in these different in these different texts, and especially in the Shla texts, um, right? Those are the passages that have uh, uh, have A, uh, B, C, uh, and so forth in uh, circle the Shnei Luchot Habrit. How there is the body actually given a a, a much more positive um, spin or much more positive uh, um, portrait um, as an inscription, an embodiment of the divine name, as a manifestation of divinity, right? The divine name being understood by the mystics to be a um, reflection of the divine self, right? So in what way is the fact that the name of God, specifically the Tetragrammaton, right, the four-letter Shema Meforash, the Yudhei how in what way is that embodied and found in the human uh, self? So as you're proceeding through the text, um, uh, pay attention to some of these questions. Also make, uh, jot down uh, particular types of, of images and symbols that, that emerge from your reading of the text. Um, Sorry? Embodied in the, in the human, in the, in the human body. How is the, the human body there, right there, that's a, that's a much more uh, <coughs> positive uh, uh, conception of, of, of the human body, and there he's really talking about the Jewish human body, right? That's that's really it's not really it's not really so much about Jewish and and, and versus non-Jewish as much as it is that's really what what uh, what he is focused on. So I so I don't want to I don't want to assume that he's necessarily uh, spreading uh, speaking speaking uh, in totally universalistic terms, but. Um, um, though I would certainly like to see that, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the sure. Jewish male body. Or the Jewish male body. Oh, to be, yeah. If we want, if we want, if we want to be really precise, that's, prob- that's probably uh, probably is is, uh, is more specific. Is there a unified Christian approach to these ideas? And are we going to be comparing them? Um, is, is there a unified Christian approach to this, and are we going to be comparing them? Um, not really. Uh, we're we're going to. It's more. It's more. In terms of, in terms of what I'm going to be doing with you, it's more. It's more implicit, I think, because these are certain great questions of Christology. Uh, the, the issue is how how do some of these how do some of these questions that lie at the heart of Christian thinking about the relationship between God and God's manifestation in uh, in the human world? How are these how how are these actually also great questions? Of, of various Jewish theologians and theologians and Jewish thinkers um, that to some extent dissolve or um, blur the boundaries between what we sometimes um, assume to be uh, more rigid distinctions. Um, so as you're going th- as you're going through the text, also um, make a make a list for yourself of um, of particular key lines and phrases that support. Um, or contradict some of these claims, right? So kind of have a, um, a working uh, cluster of, um, of forms of, of expression. And then lastly, 
pay specific attention to how um, citation from the Torah is used or, or broader from the Tanakh, how previous sources are used and engaged in terms of playfully creating meaning. And you'll see this especially in, in the last text, in the Hasidic text, but it's also um, very much in, in the other sources as well. Um, and uh, and as, as, as you're proceeding, please um, uh, raise your hand if you have questions or whatnot. I'll try to hop around to some of the different chavrutos. Uh, uh, I think given the size, I wouldn't be able to just go systematically through every every person, though I'll try to I'll try to do some of that. But as you're as you're discussing and the issue is coming up, I'll try to um, move around. Okay. Um, so how, how much time are we supposed to dwell on this? Yes. Yes. So. Um, Um, well, given that we, had, we we did we did have we did have um, uh, a little bit, a little bit longer in our opening um, dis- discussion, uh, let's 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 think about 45 minutes, I think, um, and um, um, or maybe 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 more. We'll see how we'll see, we'll see how it's going, um, and then and then we'll we'll come back together after uh, after a bit of after some time to uh, to do more discussion more in depth together. I'm going to make a pedagogical suggestion. Yes. So maybe we should do a Rusa on, let's say, the, 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 um, the, um, the first two steps, and then discuss it, and that will give us a better understanding of how to proceed with, with the others. Just a um, Well, why don't we, I, you know, why, why don't we, um, at the very least, why don't we why don't we treat the the um, the Cordovero piece and the Vital piece, which is pages um, one through three, as something of a unit because those are because those are connected. So why don't you start by focusing on those, um, and then let's let's see how we're how we're progressing and whether it makes sense um, to come back together to discuss those first before you look at. Um, before you look at either the schla or depending on time, I'd like us we might skip skip or or just just skip over the schla and I uh, pay attention to a few passages and we would look more at the at the Dega, at the Nore um, Nine uh, piece, the Hasidic piece at the at the end. Um, but let's 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 turn to Chavruta um, uh, now, starting with the Cordovero and uh, Vital pieces on pages um, one through two. Let's, let's come back together and um, uh, spend some time talking through some of the issues in these texts and uh, and um, both both the Cordovero and the Vital and then also um, and then also uh, from the Maori Nine, which I think um, uh, many of you will find uh, uh, even even more relevant to contemporary discussions. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm delighted that there was so much passion in the Chavruta, that's wonderful, um, and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed um, uh, exchanging ideas uh, with one another and getting your footing in, in the text. Of course, there are going to be um, 
uh, questions and, and further explanations and, and so forth, uh, and that's, so that's uh, what we're going to look at. Uh, what we're going to look at uh, now. So why don't we start with um, let's let's start by looking at some closely at some of the language of uh, of the Cordovero uh, first, and then of, and then of the Vital, both in, to hear. Uh, what uh, what conclusions you came to in your karuta and uh, and what we can what we can uh, distill uh, out from this uh, together. Um, right, so so um, so several of the of the core phrases that we see here, right, starting at the beginning, is that perush uh, atzilut perush atzilut who or he may ha sfiro? Um, usually yes, so sometimes um, uh, it can be and uh, in as much as or, or or with the fact that right. So some so it, it can sometimes be used in both in both ways. Um, would you would you like to to read some of the Hebrew, or would anybody or would anybody else like to, to volunteer to, to to read some of this out loud? Um, 
So yes, 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 very nice. And 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 part of the core um, element here is um, is that uh, is, is is the simple assertion, right? That that all the souls are emanated from one place, right? They're emanated from the Sirot, which are divinity, right? Because all the ten Sirot are really one, the Kabbalists would say, are really all part, are really all dimensions of the one God. They are the, the um, right, the, we, we, uh, we use the, the imagery of, of emanation as a, as a flowing, uh, uh, flowing river, a flowing force of, of energy from divinity, of divinity, and so, therefore, all of these different zeros are like, um, metaphorically, are like rivulets of streams that are all interconnected, ultimately, when we think about the unity of all water in the world, right? Or the way in which all streams and rivers flow to the sea, as, as Kohelet, as Ecclesiastes said, right? So, when it talks about these different streams, these are all... Um, parts of the one God, but it, to some extent expanding this metaphor works as well to the different souls, right? That, that, that um, it's from that first spring of divinity that all of these energies flow forth and each of those different streams and rivulets are also like different souls, um, all of which are part of the one unity of that water, right? So this is, so of course, um, I'm, I'm um, inserting this image here, though Cordovero happens to use water and light imagery elsewhere in the Pardes Simonium to speak about the unity of the Sphero, so it's not foreign to Cordovero. Um, um, Rao Zulhat, uh, uh, um, now here I think it's also in this Questions uh, that that Yerkebrit had raised as well, right? So, so how does what what kind of a vision does this offer to um, thinking about um, uh, thinking about human life in a spiritually or morally more meaningful way, right? Um, and so, to differentiate, or or, or or to say that we that we need to realize that that. That where we thought there was differentiation, there's also deep commonality, right? So, so that means that the shivui or the or or the um, the shinui ben anashim, or the difference or the the separation between people, deep down is actually not the mm-hmm. the is not the deepest truth. But right? the deepest truth 
is that you and I, that one and, an, and another person, are from the same essence, right? So therefore, there is a soul bond, you might say, that lies beneath the surface of perceived reality. And where we might think there are differences between people, those differences exist and can have value, but there's also a deep fundamental oneness or unity or, or conjoinedness or, commu- or, or, or communion um, between, um, take the theme of the day, right, um, uh, between uh, people because all people share that, that rootedness and that oneness in, in the divine. Um, and to some extent, we'll actually expand upon that theme um, in, the Wednesday, in my Wednesday afternoon session, which has to do with the question of, of love, right? Of course, uh, again, playing on a great Christian theme. But there, Cordovero, and we're gonna, there we'll look at the disciple of Cordovero, um, the author of the Reishi Kochma, where the imperative to love another person also stems from that sense of commonality, right? That we are... We are drawn to one another in part um, because of that deep unity within within God. And at this point, there's no distinction yet between Jews and non-Jews. Yes, not certainly not explicitly. Um, so it, but yes, yeah. Um, um, yes, in, in one moment, I just wanted to take another another question. First, first over here. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about what Cordovero's understanding was with regard to variation? Variation in terms of the manifest I was talking world? about the variations, but not the many, talking about ontological variations, variations in, in uh, essence. Uh, so, in, 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 that, in, right, in, that, in that formulation, right, this is the fourth line of, of the English, and, and looking in the, in the Hebrew, this is. So what, what that means is that even though there might be distinctions in the deepest sense based on the fact that there are different spherot, that those different spherot are, are ultimately few in difference, but even then he would say that those different streams or those different colors or those different um, elements are all part of the oneness anyway. The differentiation, I mean, inclination of the soul? Um, yes, yes, in terms, in terms of, right, if, 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 different, if, one, if a different soul, if different souls um, derive more from one or another of the spheros, or they reflect different elements of one or another of the spheros, let's say most specifically, do they, does this, does this person lean more naturally toward chesed, right, love and compassion, or toward gvura or din, right? And, and right, so why, why do we have one person who is more quick to be judgmental or harsh and another who's more quick to be empathic and loving, right? And so part of the explanation for that would be um, a different dominance of the spherot in them at particular times and particular ways of their aspect of their um, existence, but it's also about saying that one can cultivate, one can cultivate the act, the activation of those different parts of the divine self and of the spherot 
through different kinds of actions, right? As Cordovero says elsewhere, um, because each person contains all of the spheros within themselves, if by focusing on a particular action or by cultivating a particular action, then one can cause that spherotic dimension to become illumined in one's self. Right, so the example he uses is if you engage in Torah study, then you can cause the Sfirah Tif Eret, which correlates to Torah Shebikhtar above, the written Torah above, to become illuminated and shine through your soul in a different way. So, and so with various other types of actions, right? So in other words, the principle being that the, the constitution of a human being and what it means, really, in the sense to be v'tzel and mudmut, right, to, to, to address your, your point, um, which Cordovero addresses actually in Tomer Devora in important ways as well, his mystical ethical treatise, where he says, how should a person, there he says, how should a person truly realize being created in the image of God, of, of realizing one's being v'tzel and mudmut, as he said, <coughs> It's not just through physical resemblance, um, if, if that can be said at all, but rather it's through the pilot that a person engages in, the actions and behaviors that a person engages in. Right? And when you engage in particular actions that correlate to different sirot, then you, then you allow those parts of God to shine through you and allow those parts of God to be activated in you. And that's the true meaning of realizing, of imitatio dei, right, as, as uh, to take the Christian formulation, right, of the, of, of, the in, of, of imitating divinity or realizing one's um, uh, resemblance uh, to, to divinity. Um, another, another, another question or thought? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if modern Hebrew is getting in the way of my understanding this, but I'm troubled, or, or could you explain to me the meaning of the word to the top as emanations because I'm thinking of Yilut Sehem things that prompt you to do things and Atsim and I'm seeing Atsimut as their um, their nobleness. So, 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 so the root is the root there is is, is Aleph Sadi Re Lamed, right? So Atsal as opposed to uh, not, uh, not uh, rather as opposed to Aleph Lamed Sadi of, of Eluts, right? So, so, uh, so, so the high. Where does Atsil, Atsimut mean their emanation? Where does that come from? The, the first use of Atsilut. Of, of, of um, um, Isn't it more related to the idea? Well, well cer- certainly, certainly, the, certainly the idea of emanation, for sure. Um, derives from, uh, or at least directly or indirectly, from, from Neoplatonism, uh, particularly Plotinus's uh, Aeneid, which is a very beautiful, poetic, mystical treatise, which itself was based on ideas that are found in Plato's writings. The question that you're asking about the wording, though, right? The, conceptually, the idea of emanation is heavily indebted to Neoplatonism. And, and no, it, no, you're asking about the word. The word, 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 the word
I think in the usage anyway that we find here, it's not found um, earlier than medieval uh, than, than medieval writings in particular. I think we find it already in some of the some of the early Jewish Neoplatonic um, uh, philosophical writings of the medieval period, and then it certainly becomes quite um, and then becomes uh, quite common. Um, in uh, in medieval Kabbalistic Hebrew, as to whether it has an earlier usage, um, we have to investigate see whether it's found in the biblical sources or rabbinic sources, but not in the same sense that it's meant here, right? So in the same sense. So I can't make a case for I've seen some meaning the from. I don't I don't think so, um, yeah. but you can try. <laughs> Um, so I, I want I want to, I want to get to everyone's question, but I also want to make sure that that we move through through uh, through each of these pieces with an, with an eye to the time. So let's just. Oh, but can we finish this? There's a very important point here. So, Which? So, right, because the uh, Is to say that 
Well, look, we encounter we encounter the 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 manifold um, and variegated nature of of the world around us, right? As, as, as you're as you're noticing here, as Cordovero says, right? That people have different faces, that people have different personalities, that, that there's that there's and and yes, yes, and that and that and that in this in, in this realm of gashmiyot of gufaniyot, we see in particular the manifold nature of reality. But the mystic still wants to say, and Cordovero says that deep down, the deepest truth is that all of those distinctions are really united in the oneness of God, right? So that the pure oneness of indivisibility as the emanation takes place and as creation goes through its many different chains of being down to the, to the lowest chain, lowest rung of the chain that we experience as variegated physicality, um, that, they, that ultimately these are all traceable back to that oneness, right? So, so the mystic, I think, always wants to always wants to say at some level that where you thought there was many, or there were many, um, that really underlying that is the oneness and interconnectedness of God, right? That's not to dismiss the importance of the shinuyim in physicality, which you're rightly um, celebrating. I think that's it's an important, and, and, and he's celebrating it in an important way. Um, but he nevertheless would still want to subscribe to what I think we could say is a kind of great chain of being model, where this lowest chain, lowest rung of the chain that we experience, is still rooted in that more ethereal oneness of, of God. And the mystics are still pulled toward that, right? They experience that tension between the one and the many. Um, so let's let's just turn let's turn <coughs> excuse me relatively briefly to the Vital text and, and not necessarily to read it through line by line since you since you did that but to go through a few of the key points in it so that we also have time to look at at least the first paragraph of the Maorinai. What would you say are the um, the the key points that are made in this passage? What are the key points that Vital makes and what is the imagery that he uses to accomplish uh, those assertions? Um, Well, we were talking about how all all the three people in my group were all very excited about the theme of Judaism and Christianity. So if I may just slightly... Apropos, yes. Thank you for bringing us back to it. Well, it seems like the part of... they are like a son who grasps hold of his father and is drawn forth from him. I don't know what that means. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Um, Great. Okay, so um, without knowing exactly what that means, nor the Hebrew, let's, um, let me just ask if, well, I'll just first of all say that, from my, I think we're all Jewish in this room, I'm, but from my perspective, probably from all of our perspectives, it's a little bit of a strange idea that God had only one son. Um, but Christians talk a lot about that, so that seems to be an important idea in Christianity, the only son of God born on this day in Bethlehem, blah, blah, blah. Um, yada, yada, yada. So I wonder if that, maybe you could tie that together. All the rest of commentary. With this, with this uh, a son who grasps hold of his father and is drawn forth from him. 
Yes, yes, yes. No, it's wonderful, and I'm, it's wonderful, and, I'm, and I think that that's a really probably the key point, or one of the key points to emphasize from this piece. And I'm really glad that you brought it up in relationship to the Christian comparison, because that, that really is part of why I chose this particular passage. Right? Is, is that it centers around <coughs> this verse from Devarim, from Deuteronomy 14:1, "Banim matem Right? They are called. You are called the children of the Lord your God of right? And why is that the case? Because it says that the light of the soul is a light that is born and drawn from the light of the ten spheres themselves. He who or mit yaled v'nimshach meor ha'eser spherot atman and atman shelo al yidei amtai, not through an intermediary. And this is significant. Because it's essentially saying that in the same way, I said this to a couple of your chavutot, in the same way that the baby emerges physically from the body of the mother, right, that one flesh becomes, becomes two, right, or, or another emerges directly, <clears throat> that here we have the image of the light that is born, that is drawn out of the very self of God, the very self of the ten spheros, from that emerges the self of the human being. And mitiale, the language of leida, the language of birth, right? That the, that the essence of the human self, which is the soul, is quite literally born, not metaphorically, born of God. And therefore, Therefore, uh, right, and not through any intermediary. Therefore, the human self, at its essence, is divine at some level, or at least divine is 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 correlated to God in the same sense that uh, with the same DNA, if you will, right, that the baby born of the parents uh, is. No, the spherot are are God. The spherot are divinity. And, and, the, and the conundrum of that, right, well, what do you mean they? And, right, and this is the ten spherot that are one. The Kabbalists, the, Kabbalists, the Kabbalists will say over and over again, even though they're drawn to this issue of the ten spherot, is that, that, don't get me wrong, the ten are really all one. And what does that sound like to you, speaking of the theme of the week? Ah, Yes, I, you know, to speak, to, uh, to, to, to tread on, on uh, a little uh, blasphemously, if you will, but I, but I like to do that, right, is that, is that the ten spherot, the ten that are one, is not dissimilar, or is similar, to the Christian claim that the three are really one. The three are not separate, according to Christian doctrine, the three are really one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and especially in Christian mysticism, this is even more the case. Um, but, but, uh, but to the point of this particular um, piece, this particular segment of the text, <coughs> the person can be characterized as the, right, uh, tantalizingly or radically as the divine man or the divine human, uh, I prefer, um, but certainly can be characterized as 
the human being whose very essence is the substance of divinity, right? And that's to say that there is not a real separation in identity between the human being and God. Because God is manifested. God gives birth in this image. God gives birth to, um, to the essence of the human self. Now this goes on in the next couple of lines. It goes on to say it a little bit, um, <coughs> a little bit more ambiguously for, uh, in terms of the question of the ontological identity, right? Invoking this classic image from the town of Rishitrava and, and other ancient sources of Avot Hen Hen Hamer Kava, the fathers, the patriarchs. They are truly, they are the chariot, and they're. So in its it's rather enigmatic in terms of what it means in its original context. How it's used here is to say that the human being is a chariot for the for the divine light to ride in. Right. So there, that's slightly different from saying human equals divine. But here's to say that just as the the essence, the deepest self, essence of, of the human self is God, is the divine light, so too the human self can be understood as this Merkava, this chariot for the, divine, for the regal divine light that rides in the chariot of the human self. And what do you mean by Levush? So, 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 so Levush, um, which means... <laughs> which means garment, um, in, this, in that sense, the human, the human being, the human being, the human soul, because the soul is the essence of the human being, um, functions as the garment for the higher divine light. Right? Um, and that's this image of, right, right uh, of the Zeudodiyaradzelegano, right, the, 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 I, that, that, that my beloved has descended to, uh, to the garden, to his garden, which is from Shir Hashirim, but here to say that God has descended to God's garden, which is this world. And it's not just this world, but it is, uh, but it is the, the person, the people of this world, and becomes enclosed in the people of this world. Um, so let me take a question or two, and then I want to make sure that we at least read the first paragraph of the Ori Nine because it's so good. Please. Yeah, the last short paragraph of this makes me question what human beings is he talking about? Because it Jewish or non-Jewish? Is that part of your question? Or and, and differentiations within Jews. Uh, if you look at Deuteronomy 4.4 and how Cleve is defined there, it's really focusing on follow, following the law, adhering to the law. So is, is there differentiation between Jews and non-Jews? We're talking about Jews but not non-Jews. And is it talking about the subset of Jews who live cleaving to the manifestation of Adonai in the law in Holocaust? So you're talking about particularly the piece of, oh, the last, the last piece of Atemaz Vekim. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I think that the, the statement here, um, and it's true this has a kind of uh, specifically Jewish connotation, um, 
is to say that that um, that the true realization of the human self is its ontological bondedness and unity with the divine origin, right? That which is not the case with all other creatures. And, and, and I think that at the very least, it's talking about non-human creatures. I don't think that it's necessarily making a Jewish, non-Jewish statement here necessarily, though it could be implicit. <clears throat> but the distinction here, I think, is, um, is, is one of that, what is it to be a human being? Is to have this ontological commonality um, an origin within God. Um, let, let, let me just turn to this last piece because um, because I, I uh, want to make sure that we at least see this. So now we're jumping ahead. And you, and you read this in your Kavruta, um but some of you did, I saw anyway. Um, uh, and this, so this, 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 this whole larger text that I have here is really, is really quite wonderful in a number of respects, but I want to call your attention specifically to the beginning, um, where, where, where a statement about the nature of the Adam is made, and that's, and that's where we're particularly interested, at least in terms of our focus. So this is um, the page that looks like this, the Sefer Breshit, um, and Parashat Breshit, Maori Nain at the top, starting on the right-hand column, the first paragraph, so this is um, this is a kind of conflating of a couple of traditions, the Midrashic tradition, the Zoharic tradition. The short of it is that it's essentially saying that that Bireshit refers to the fact that God created the world through Torah. God created we could, we could expand on, upon, upon how this association is, is made and if, if we had a little bit more time, but this is really saying that God created the world through Torah, which is Oraita. And therefore, because God created the world through Torah, which is really also an extension of the divine self, Ninsa kol davar nivra al yedei Torah. So therefore, everything was created by way and through Torah, right? This Torah that preceded the creation of the world, which, by the way, along the lines of, of, of correlations to Christianity, is also very important uh, undergirding of the beginning of the Gospel of John, right? The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and then the Word became flesh, right? In the, in the rabbinic or, or later Jewish version, uh, that logos, that first word, um, is, is Torah, right? And um, Daniel Boyarin has talked about this correlation quite extensively in his book called Borderlines, the correlation between Logos theology and early Christianity and um, Torah um, theology. It's created by way of, of the Torah, the and the and the force of the actor is in that which is acted upon, <coughs> meaning meaning that uh, through, through the Torah, God's energy and the Torah energy, which is part of God, becomes spread into all the world. It's 
If so, if this is the case, then it means that in all the worlds and in everything that exists, that you see, there in here there is the power, the force, the energy of Torah. And here, yes, exactly, because that was the that's the the energy through which God created the world, and the Kabbalists say Torah is actually part of the divine self as well. So it's sort of like through this part of God called Torah, the world came to be, and therefore God as Torah spreads into everything. And into every aspect of the world that includes, every element of the world that includes the human being, the Chen Ha'adam. So that divine reality as Torah becomes incarnated or present in the human being, right? Which is very similar, of course, to the idea of the Logos become, the Word become flesh in the form of, of Jesus Christ. But here it's about the Torah, God's Torah, God as Torah, becoming present and incarnate in the human being. And here, it's the correlation exegetically, interpretively, linking it to the biblical text that's so amazing here, because he says, Dichtiv zot ha-Torah adam. So does anyone remember where that verse comes from? It comes from uh, in the book of Numbers, right, where, where it's talking about something very different. It's saying, zot ha-Torah adam ki yamut ba-ohel. Right? This is the teaching about a person who dies in a tent and how you should sequester or approach with, with regard to purity or impurity. But the, the Maori Naim, the Chernobler, does something brilliant here. He, as a, as a great creative homilist, he cuts it off right in the middle. He says, not Zota Torah, colon, Adam Kiamut Ba'ohel, but rather Zota Torah, colon, Adam, period. That's it. That's the whole story. What is the Torah? A human being. What is the Torah? A human being. And especially if we're saying, especially if we're saying that the Torah is the indwelling of divine presence in this world, then to say, Zotah Torah Adam is to say, what is God as Torah? It is a human being. That is to say, if we can kind of expand upon upon the Maori Nine's teaching is to say that the way you live your life, the wholeness of your human self, is an embodiment, is a manifestation of a living divine Torah. Each of you, each of us, is a manifestation of God's Torah come alive in this world. Right? And and quite ontologically, literally, right? That the Adam, the human self, what does it mean to be an Adam? It means to be a living Torah. It means to be God manifest as living Torah. And then the, the idea of using the Patuk, Adam Kiyabon, to illustrate Adam as she is here. Very nice. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that is a really nice observation, especially because it goes on to say 
that uh, right? so that, yeah, everything in the world contains the, the life and the vitality, the chayim of God, right? So it does contrast, that's a very nice observation, it does contrast with the literal meaning of the verse of Mavet, of Yamut, right? Here it's, it's about Yichyeh, or about Mechayeh. But I think the Gemara itself, because the angels of Rachel, Mekayim, Nisha, Name, and Asma, Ah, for Shekoya, very nice. All right, so, so this, so this is. Uh, sorry, can you translate? Okay, I'm sorry. That uh, the words of Torah uh, last only on someone who's willing, you know, who, who actually dies himself. He's willing to, willing to die. Willing to die. Yeah, or, no, not, not willing to die. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Extending oneself. Extending oneself. Or I'm killing myself I'm to do it. Right, 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 right. A whole totality. Very, very nice. Right, so kind of giving of one's whole self is part of it. So much that it's as though I'm dying for it. Um, so we're we're a few minutes a uh, few minutes of past, but I want to wrap up for today. Um, so uh, wonderful to learn with you. I hope you got some good things out of our study together. And um, uh, part two of uh, part two of uh, this, my part of this of this week. There are going to be a number of other sessions. On Wednesday afternoon, we're going to be looking at the theme of uh, of love in uh, Kabbalah, in particular Kabbalah and Chassidut, specifically about how love of human beings is love of God, and love of God is love of human beings.